Hello, and welcome to the Stop Devaluation Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Stop Devaluation Movement, Melody Hilton. The heart of this movement is to see the value in all of humanity and live courageous lifestyles of using our power for good instead of harm. We can affect change by choosing validation over judgment, and I hope you'll take your place and make a positive impact in this world. Who do we want to emulate? When we search for human connection and find that acceptance through someone whose attitudes and behaviors are destructive, it becomes so easy to justify their behaviors by following their example. In this episode, we will hear the my story of Jack Hoke, who gained his sense of worth in all the wrong places. From addictions, criminality, and dealing drugs, Jack found a void inside of him that nothing could fill. His journey led him to AA and a new role model. Today, Jack's goal in life is to be a hope dealer and go to places where others fear to tread. Well, today I'd like to welcome Jack Hoke to the Stop Devaluation interview. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Melly. It's such an honor to be here. And uh, I have grown to know you and to love you and your husband. And uh, like I said, I am really honored to be here this morning. Well, the feeling is completely mutual. I know a little bit about your story, but I would love for you to share the battles, the challenges, the things that hurt, the things that caused you to believe lies about yourself, because I know so many might be able to relate to the things that you've experienced. Uh, Surely, Dr. Melody, let's go back to my birth because that's where it all started. Sure. First of all, I was born and raised in the sweetest place on earth. And if you don't know where that is, it's downtown Hershey, Pennsylvania. My parents were hardcore Pennsylvania Dutch. My father was part of the Second World War and went on to design the defense computers for the Department of Defense. Wow. He also spent a lot of time in the Pentagon. My mother, on the other hand, was a very hard-working, stay-at-home mom, and there was never at night where there was not a home-cooked meal on the table. My mom was one of the most amazing humans I ever met. Well, my upbringing was void of relationship and revolved around doing Mm. as opposed to anything relational. My parents were task-driven, not relationship-oriented. Mom and dad expressed their love by providing, and so my family never showed love through touch or words. Yeah, and... To further my love deficit, my birth in 1958 was trauma-induced. You see, my mom hemorrhaged at the end of her six-month term, and we were rushed to the Hershey Hospital, where I was delivered 12 weeks early. I was then separated from mom and taken via ambulance to the Harrisburg Hospital. This is where I spent months in an incubator fighting for my life. And in 1958, the survival rate for premature babies was extremely low. The truth is my entrance into this world was influenced by tribulation and anguish and lacked human contact. 
And so for me, love and touch was a foreign, very difficult thing. However, I grew up as a carefree boy, but I lacked the ability to have healthy relationships. See, throughout the 1960s, one of my fondest memories uh, with my mom and dad was playing baseball. I loved baseball. However, in 1970, when I was 12, my dad took a high-ranking job at the Pentagon. And so he didn't come home until the weekends. Mm. And that's when one of my sisters started dating a guy. And my role model switched from my dad to this fellow. That is really big right there. Who you look to shapes how you view yourself because now you're looking to them as a role model. And that's exactly right. And, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about what took place after that. You see, my sister's boyfriend was a shot-out hippie. You know, he wore a lot of leather and brim jeans, and he drove a Shelby 428 King of the Road bustle car. <laughs> and I thought, you know, quite honestly, I had arrived. Yeah. You see, he was my new role model. He took me hunting and fishing, and he taught me how to sell weed. Oh. And by the age of 20, I had been arrested for kidnapping and criminal conspiracy in a 50-pound weed deal that went south. Wow. Yeah. You see, I was later found not guilty only because those involved decided not to testify against me. I was deeply entrenched in the underground world of crime and in the distribution of narcotics. Let me ask you a question, Jack. Do you believe that you were drawn to those things because of your sister's boyfriend, that he was involved in those things? So for you to feel accepted, you connected to what he was doing? Absolutely. Okay. Um, that's a big part of it. But also, you know, I, my, I was not getting any uh, confirmation or any love. As a matter of fact, my father never told me that he loved me. Oh. And so I was just trying to fill this gigantic hole in my soul. Yeah. And at the time, I thought that's what I needed. So, you know, at the age of 25, I came to my senses just a little bit and I stopped trafficking narcotics. However, my heart was full of anger and rage and really, really void of compassion. You know, I thought that marriage would help me. (laughs) And so I began to date different women at a rapid rate, just looking for, I guess, the fix I thought I needed. And quite honestly, it was just one empty relationship after another. But at the age of 29, I thought I met the woman of my dreams, and I was married by the age of 30. Three daughters, and nine years later, I was divorced, and I was experiencing deep despair. Mm. Well, I was now 38, and in 1996, I began to hear about the possibility of change in Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I knew I needed something, doctor, or someone to change me. Yeah. Because I had tried endless times through drugs and alcohol and sex to find peace and purpose for my life, but to no avail. But then I met a gentleman by the name of Jim in the AA rooms, and he began to speak into my life. And when I heard his testimony and what he had went through in his life, I started to gain hope that change was possible. Mm. 
And this man's invested an awful lot of time in me. He took me through the 12 steps and I was obedient in what he asked me to do. And it really started to change my life. Oh, thank goodness for Jim. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank, thank goodness for Jim. <laughs> I think it was a setup. Um, uh, because like I said, I needed somebody. I didn't love anybody. I didn't believe in myself. Was he able to give you what your father couldn't? You know, bless him, and I'm not speaking negatively over him, but you know, he couldn't give me what he had, and and he didn't. He couldn't tell me that he he loved me. And as a matter of fact, he would always tell me that I was stupid and that there was something wrong with me. And so my behavior uh, sort of mirrored what he would say over me. And it wasn't till Jim started to speak the opposite mm. that um, that I started to see value in my life. Yes. You've experienced so many things. You even did a lot of things that were destructive. But there was a gym. There was an individual who saw your value and worth. There was an individual who was where you were at right then. And so through his investment, it began to change the way you thought about yourself. Now, could you share with us how you generate value in others? Uh, surely. Um, let me just share this quickly. A few months ago, I was uh, in Harrisburg off of 19th Street, and an Uber driver stopped his car. He got out, and he came over to me, and I had never seen him before in my life. And he had real long dreads down to his knees, and he was a rather interesting individual um, and he pointed to me and he said you're a hope dealer and you're going to change the lives of many people and he just got in his car and drove away Aww. and so I had to go out and get the shirt and I'm actually wearing it right now and it says hope dealer there you go but, yeah but there has been so many times that uh, just my words have you know impacted people's lives. For instance, um, I was down in Alabama with a group of people and uh, going through the, the line at Walmart, I told the cashier, I said that she was amazing. And those words hit her and knocked her back a couple steps. Wow. And she just broke and she started to cry and cry and cry. Oh and when she came around, she said, no one has ever told me that. Oh my. And just the other evening, you know, there was a, a girl and she was sitting next door to where I live. I live on 2nd Street, North 2nd Street. And she was under the influence of alcohol. And I just sat with her and I put my arms around her and I told her that she was amazing. And then I loved her mm -hmm. and she started to cry and cry and cry. And I can give you story after story after story. But I must tell you this one. Um, I was over uh, on North 6th Street, and uh, a gentleman came up to me, and he had a handgun. And he told me that I didn't belong in his neighborhood. Wow. And I smiled at him, and I told him that he was amazing, and that I could use someone like him, that I wanted him on my team. And um, he said, well, you really shouldn't be here. And then I was with another person, and she said, would you give us permission to be here? 
And this gentleman said, yes, I give you permission to be here. and had a big smile on his face. Wow. We hugged him, and he left with value. He left feeling like he was a part of something because he gave us permission to be in his neighborhood. And uh, we went from there just releasing hope to every person that we met. Wow. What you did was you showed him honor. And even though it was probably not a very safe situation, by how you responded to him shifted the way he viewed you as well as himself, so much so that he let you be that hope dealer in that area. That is amazing. Absolutely. I have story after story after story, but it's something that I do daily now. It's like I'm on an assignment. Aww to just release hope to every person that I meet. Whether they like me or not, whether they receive it or not, I just release hope. People need hope. And that's my mission in life, is to be a hope dealer. You are one who is modeling the way for others to follow. And every one of us has the power to look at someone and say, you know, you are valuable. You are special. You. What was the word that you used? Oh, I, I just told her she was amazing. Oh, yes. Look at that. You are amazing. When we can tell someone that, we can begin to plant seeds in their heart that they are amazing, that they do hold intrinsic worth. I'll tell you, Jack, you are an amazing guy and you're doing things that all of us have the power to do like right now. And I think if every one of us today would just say, how can I add value to my world? How can I add value to an individual? I think we would begin to see culture shift and healing come to individuals and even organizations and communities. Thank you for being a part of the solution, Jack. You're very welcome, Dr. Melody. And uh, I am very honored, as I said, at the beginning to, uh, to be your friend. And, and uh, what you're doing for the world is, is absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you so thank much. You yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for joining my story. I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to become a part of the Stop Devaluation Movement. Be sure to like and follow hashtag Stop Devaluation on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and visit StopDevaluation.com for more information and free resources. You can help spread the movement by sharing with others, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and most of all, by living a courageous lifestyle of using your power for good. Go out and value someone today. Your life matters and you can make the world a better place. One word, one choice, one action of validation at a time.